Welcome to Uncontained, episode 145. I'm your host, Aaron Static-Render, and on the show today, I have writer, musician, and podcaster, J.V. Torres. He has, a, he has a podcast that once I started listening to it, I had to binge listen until I was all caught up. It is The Rise of King Asylus, set in America sometime in the future, where everything comes down, and instead of being a democracy, it's a monarchy. And he actually has some novels to go along with it as well. JV is kind of a trailblazer in teaching English as a second language. So we definitely talk about that a little bit. And he has some great advice for people who are looking to get into podcasting, or even just grow a name for themselves in their field as far as networking and cross-promoting go. So I won't keep you much longer before I get to the show, but you do know it is Christmas season. And if you're shopping, prefer Amazon. If you want to help out Uncontained, just go to uncontainedpod.com, click that Amazon banner at the top of the page and go about your shopping and help support the show. Or if you want to give some kick-ass uncontained merchandise, you can find that through TeePublic. I have the links on my Facebook page so you can get right to my storefront and get cool things like t-shirts and coffee mugs, some stickers, and all that good stuff. So with no further ado, this is my conversation with King Silas himself, J.V. Torres. How are you doing today, J.V.? I'm doing great, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show, man. Uh, so you have a lot of things going on right now. Writer, teacher, researcher, podcaster. One of the things that I, I didn't realize when I was researching you, you had a couple books on Amazon. Well, sure. I'm, I'm a lot of things. Um, let's go ahead. I mean, we can, we can focus a little bit on, on, on Amazon. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually my main book is called I Want to Learn English. Because um, I, I teach ESL, not just for school kids, but I've, I've taught them for adults for a lot of years. And what I found was uh, earlier on, like in 2009, um, that a lot of the materials that were out there are not appropriate, really, for adult learners, people that are just coming over from you know, other countries. And it's not just from like Central America and Mexico, but like from you know Europe and Russia and those places. Okay. So, so what do you mean uh, by not appropriate for them? Meaning like, that, like, because what I, I because what I discovered was, and this was really um, not the consensus, and still isn't really in my field, was that teaching phonics to adults was not something that people would do. Like the schools where I taught at, the colleges where I taught at, they're just like we just don't we don't teach. And I'm like, well, this is one of the fundamental problems. I'm like, these people need to learn the language at the mechanical level, you know, at the phonemic level. And so I did a lot of research on my own because they were like, well, there's nothing out there that's like that. So I saw that there was this big void in ESL for adult learners. And I just went into this, into these uncharted waters. And I wrote this book because I had years of research to back it up. And I submitted this uh, in a proposal to the, the TESOL board, which is here in Maryland. And um, they accepted it. They they found it to be valid, and they gave me a grant to publish that book. Okay, that's how, that's how that book came to be. It came with a lot of research, and uh, it had a lot of professionals in this field that looked over all of my work and and all said it was legit. Very so, cool, man. Very cool. So, um, 
came up with a new approach to teaching English as a second language. And in a way, that has helped, as you were saying, uh, as we were talking a little bit before the show, helped fund your other um, ventures as far as into podcasting and stuff, correct? That's correct. It's, it's, you know, I'll share one little quick story with you because when I first got into the field of ESL, I, I was I was a Shakespeare buff. I mean, this is I studied Shakespeare. That's my background. Okay. You can imagine, you know, when I got a job in the, in the city working, they said, "Well, we need a bilingual teacher to, to work with our ESL students." And I'm like, "Yeah, sure. I needed a job, you know." <laughs> and at one point, honestly, Aaron, I'm. I'm I, I was very frustrated early on in my career because I didn't know what to do. Like I, I'm a, I'm a Shakespeare guy. I want to tell it that these kids can't even spell their name. Okay, so that's a that's a big gap right there. Well, I remember at one point I was literally on my knees looking at the ceiling, going, "Why has thou forsaken me, God?" You know, because <laughs> it was like the the worst possible thing I could think of. And really, that's when it hit me that I was in that position because there was a need, and I was. I didn't know it at the time, but I was the right person to do that at that time. And I found I found that this was whatever the method was in the curriculum for teaching ESL kids, this wasn't working. Yeah. So I just had to invent this way to do it. It happened over a period of time, and now I realize why I was meant for that. Because all of my creative projects, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a writer, and I've been writing for a long time, for years. But this was, I think, my calling because it challenged me. Okay. And I find that when you're challenged, like that's when I think you produce your best work, Aaron. Like when you're really pushed to the wall, that's when we're that's when you're defined. Like when you can really define yourself as an artist, as a writer, as a podcaster, or whatever it is you do in this world, whatever it is that you do, uh, when your back's against the wall, that's when we know what you're made of. That is true. So true. And, uh, you know, it's the whole, it's almost like the trial by fire type thing. You oh, know? Much so. Like some people, some people will like, okay, this isn't for me. I'll go somewhere else. I, I don't, I don't like the heat. Some people are like, okay, give me the fire. I'll take care of it. And that actually brings me to an article that I read of yours. Uh, five reasons that cause podcasters to drink that yes. I found on Medium. And technical <laughs> difficulties was one of them. And uh, not having something record was another. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but no, I think that's something we could all relate to for sure. Oh, yeah. So not meeting a deadline, losing part or all of the recording of tracks, cancellations. I, I don't let those bother me that much anymore. <laughs> I would imagine like if the guest was somebody you were really looking forward to speaking with. Sometimes you, you get lucky and you talk to somebody like one time I interviewed uh, Marilyn Manson, you know. Really? And, yeah. And we didn't really hit it the first couple of times and I'd given up. We'd given up hope on talking to him, and then the third time, he's like, "I think we, there was a, you finally that we finally get in touch." And I'm like, "Yeah, we finally got in touch. It was really cool." Anyway, yeah, the, like with the cancellations, I've kind of viewed it like as like people are going to have things come up. Like most of the time, it's more just a postponement. Like, oh yeah, we can't do it today. We'll do it this time, this time, this time, and you just keep after it. And eventually you'll get who you want to talk to as long as, you know, you keep 
don't be annoying about it, but be persistent, you know, just yeah. like after a couple of weeks, if you haven't heard anything, let's go back. Let's try to get this set up again, you know, type thing. So, so which one of those five things actually inspired the writing of the article? Um, probably the one where we lose tracks. Okay. Like we recorded something like I had recorded some things for the show and they just were not there. They were just like gone. And I was like so frustrated because I would be, I, would, I think it was a culmination because I had to meet a deadline and it was just, I couldn't get it all together. And it was, Fair enough. Because I, I was like reading this. I was like, there had to be one of those. That was a straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> and I was like, all right, screw this. Yes. Bring out the bottle of gin, man. I'm <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's going to be a long night. Um, now let's go on a rant of five things that make me just want to drink. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not a drinker. Like, I don't You open up my fridge. You won't find a single beer in there. Okay. So if it's that bad where I go out to the liquor store to bring back a bottle. That's saying something. That's saying something. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's it takes an awful lot for me to do that. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I enjoyed reading the list and uh, I, I had related to just about every one of them on there at some point or another. <laughs> so I'll actually include a link in my show notes to that. So people who are podcasters that are listening or otherwise can just uh, go through, read it, get a laugh or uh, be like, oh, I didn't know podcasters had to do this. Oh, yeah. So jumping back just a little bit. Sorry for the nonlinear interview structure, but uh, well, you mentioned doing the English as a second language was more of your calling, but it wasn't what you hoped to do uh, when you were coming out of college or looking for a job. Now, is that kind of what opened up the door for these other ventures, such as podcasting and writing and stuff, to fulfill like the uh, lack of uh, creative fulfillment in the English as a second language industry? Yeah, well, that's the thing. As I was kind of alluding to before was, like, for me, I've, I've kind of been an opportunist my entire life. You know, okay. early on when I, when I was much younger, I, I worked at Toyota. Started off, you know, with, you know like a, doing like a porter job, and then I moved up to doing upholstery. And then I, I branched off on my own and bought a little pickup truck and went to work. You know, I, I started my own company at 21 years old. Okay. So, um, I've always been that way. Whereas, like, if I see there's a need and if there's a way for me to to make my name for black or a better way of putting it, I, I've kind of jumped on those things because sometimes those opportunities open up for us and they open up for every one of us. And we just have to have the you know, we have to first have the courage and the insight, to understand that that is an opportunity and we need to jump in. And so. Yes, it's true. I'm I'm a Shakespeare guy. I'm a literary literary guy. I'm I'm a writer. That sort of thing. And that's really kind of what I wanted to do. But I think I really needed to humble myself to to take on this challenge and say, you know, here's something that whatever for whatever reason presented itself to me in my life. Why would I not be? Why would I not take up this challenge? I had no I had no way around it anyway. So, yeah. like I said, like I was kind of alluding to, is like when your back's against the wall, that's when we know what the that's how we know how you're defined. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm also a musician. I'm like involved in like a lot of different things. I'm like, you know, I put a lot of time and I put a lot of work to all these creative projects, and you know, they don't really amount to much um, in the grand scheme of things in terms of like money or yeah, know, business opportunities and that sort of thing. This was one thing that kind of fell in my lap, and 
I, I couldn't run away from it. I, I had to take the challenge up at some point. I got frustrated, you know, because I was like, I would go to other people looking for answers. And then I realized the people that I went to for answers didn't have any answers <laughs> and probably weren't capable of coming up with an answer. Not, you know, not insulting them or anything, but maybe they, that just, their minds don't work that way. Their brains aren't configured that way. So there wasn't something they could, it wasn't a problem they could solve. Yeah. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, take up this challenge and I'm going to try to solve this as best I can. And I made such waves really in, in my field because nobody was doing this kind of research and it's taken me literally to, I think as high as you can get in my field where, you know, I remember just last year in 2017, I was presenting my findings to an international um, audience at the international conference in Seattle. You know, and this is for a, a school teacher to get a proposal that's accepted by the international committee to do a presentation is it's kind of a big deal, you yeah. know. Um, and, you know, when it's usually PhDs, I'm not, I don't have a PhD yet. I plan on getting it at some point in my life. So I'm like, I'm sitting in a room with academics and I'm sitting with people with PhDs and, and you know, they're all asking me all these questions like, how do you... How do you do this? Or how did you come up with this? Or how did you come up with this? And I had an answer for all of it, you know? And <laughs> I don't know if it frustrated them or not, because I think they kind of <laughs> wanted to bump me off my cloud, but it didn't work. And I, and, and I think I won a lot of respect that way. It's interesting, though, because sometimes when you get the PhDs and you get the highly trained people, they're trained to look at a problem and approach it from one direction. And when you get somebody like yourself without like the PhD that may have not gone through that, you know, that process of teaching you to look from that one direction, you may come at it from a completely opposite side and be able to have your mind open to seeing another aspect of the problem that you can easily solve without the institutionalized learning. Well, I mean, I I have a lot of friends who are PhDs, and I'm I'm only a few years from getting mine, so it's not like I'm that far behind. In fact, a lot of them would say that the research that I put into in, in the field of linguistics would probably qualify me to, you know, use that towards my dissertation. So I okay. already have a lot of the the legwork already done. I did it completely by the book. I did everything legit. Everything was monitored. I've had it peer reviewed, so it wasn't like I, I, this wasn't like a Cinderella story. They saw me coming. Yeah, it was, you know, uh, it was once I arrived, though they they kind of were against what I was saying because it goes against what the the consensus is in the field, and you know, people don't like being wrong. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I wasn't saying anything as an insult to having a PhD or or not having a PhD. I was just saying, um, like it happens with like like say sound engineers and stuff like that too. Some people are so used to being like, oh, it has to be this, it has to be this, it has to be yeah, this. Because they're mechanical. They're very rigid and they're in a certain box, and if it doesn't fit in that box, well, then it can't be true. And I'm like, well. When was the last time you were in a classroom, doctor, or whatever? When was the last yeah. time you were in a community center trying to teach poor people that just came across the border who don't speak a lick of English? When was the last time you did that? And, you know, it's like dead silent because they don't do it, Aaron. 
Yes, they they study the philosophy of it instead of studying the people that are going through it. Or the, I, I don't know if I use the exact right words that I wanted to there, but I think you got my concept. I, I, yeah, I'm on the same way. <laughs> I'm trying well, to sound I'm, smart I'm, here, JV. I'm trying to sound I'm, smart. <laughs> look, look, I'm in the trenches, man. So like, you can. I mean, I could talk. I could talk the talk with and walk the walk with the best of them. Believe me. Yeah. But when it comes down to being in a in a situation when you can relate to people, you know, because let's face it, I mean I'm Latino, so a lot of times, you know, in these in these places, you know, a majority of the of the students are from a Latin speaking you know, Spanish speaking country. They come here, you know, and it's usually some other ethnicity that's teaching them. So when they yeah. actually see a Latino that looks like them actually teaching them, you know, and I'm bilingual, I can talk to them in their language too to kind of help them along. You know that gives me a that gives me a great advantage, really, to kind of make make things happen a lot more efficiently. Yeah, and definitely. it also allows me to to gain some data that perhaps people who aren't familiar with the cultures are able to get. And I think I've used that to my advantage at every at every turn that I can. Very cool. So, are you saying they feel more comfortable coming and talking to you than a teacher that's not of their same background? No. Okay. I, Sort of, but think of this, Aaron. Um, do you speak another language? Or no? Uh, no, not enough to stay conversational. Okay, so one of the one of the main things about language, and this is one of the things that I try to talk about to people in, in you know, academics or whoever, that they're when you're talking about a language, you're you're essentially talking about culture as well. They're inseparable. Culture yeah. and language are inseparable. Which is why you and I can have a conversation, just talk like two American dudes, right? And we totally understand each other, our mannerisms, uh, things that I infer and what I say and the body language that I give. You totally understand because you're an American like me. Yeah. Right? So if you, even though you can have the, the greatest intentions, the best intentions in the world to help somebody, but because you are not familiar with the culture of, let's say, Salvador or Honduras or Mexico, let's just say. Puerto Rico, or whatever. You're not familiar with the culture, but even though you're sympathetic, even though your your heart is in the right place, and you really want to help them out, and you're being every all the mannerisms that in your culture you're familiar with, that would that would in, that would show and demonstrate that you care, is not the same mannerisms that exist in their culture. And so, even though somebody from Mexico, let's say, you know, somebody who, you know Pennsylvania girl wants to help. She may have all the greatest intentions, but the woman in Mexico is not familiar with with her. So the woman from the older woman from Mexico is not going to read the body language in the same way. They're not she's not read the whatever her inferences are in her and her words that she says. So there's going to be a, a lot of discomfort and awkwardness, it's just naturally that way. So like, let's say you and I go to let's say we go to Germany. You and I, I don't speak German. Do you speak German? No. So we go to Germany. You and I, let's say you and I are having a beer and we meet, we're in Germany and this German person wants to help us because we're lost and he speaks a little bit of English and it's really broken and we don't really know. And Germans have a mannerism that's unfamiliar to us. And, you know, even though they want to, even though they want to help us and they mean well, I think you and I are going to be like, well, should we, I mean, should we trust this guy? You know? Yeah. Because we just, we just don't register. We don't register the mannerism. We don't register it because we're not familiar with it. And so this is the this is the advantage that I have. I am familiar with you know um, 
Spanish cultures. I'm, I'm familiar with it because I grew up in it. So I can talk with them in a certain manner. It's just certain, you know, like when you're an American, you can, you and I can sit in there and be sitting at a bar drinking a beer and, you know, you'll just say, you know, hey, hey stop, man. You know, you can just yeah. say that. It'll be like totally cool and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm this guy's cool. You know, but if you and I in Germany and some German guy says something, dah, dah, dah. I mean, you won't know how that is. You're exactly. not going to want to shoot us. <laughs> exactly. So this is what I'm talking about. Culture and language are inseparable. And this is one of the one of the things that we can't seem to wrap our heads around academically. Because we want to make it about just sounds. We want to make it about letter, letter sound associations, word pronunciations. You know, intonations. They want to make it about. They want to be. They want to bring it to a mechanical level. And language is not mechanical. You know that, Aaron. Yeah, it's not. I mean, just our conversation that we're having right now is not mechanical. You know, it's there's there are things you're reading from me from the way I'm saying something to you. You can tell if I'm being genuine or if I'm being fake. You would know just from the way I'm presenting myself to you. Very because true. you're familiar with. We are familiar with each, with uh, in, in the language that we speak. You may be on what are you on the West Coast? Yes, I'm on the West Coast. I'm originally so from the Midwest, though. You're you're on the West Coast. You're Midwest guy. I'm an East Coast guy. But even though even though we're not from the same region, we understand it because of our American culture. We're familiar with the same culture. That's yeah. the bottom line. Definitely, definitely. And I will say this about America, though, like across the country from east to west, west to east, culture is different. Um, Like the East Coast and and even the Midwest, I've talked about this on my show before, have a little bit more of like a ball breaking culture, like where when you're with your friends, you'll kind of make fun of them a little bit more. On the West Coast, it's kind of more like, you know, you have to be nice to your friends. Sure, I think when you have when you when you go into when you go into pockets of area where the dialect is a little different, like if you go down to the south, you know, in certain parts of the country, you know, when they talk with a certain twang. Yeah, you know, man, let him now tell you what. Twang, <laughs> it's not just the twang, is it? I no. mean, culture. I mean, they're they're into you know whatever it is that they do. They're outdoors. You know, they're into the horses and the, the rodeos. And that. there's a whole culture that's attached to that twang. Yes, definitely. So, when you start looking at it that way, you start to realize that they really are inseparable. And a lot of people just don't want to accept that. Yeah, yeah. I guess I never really looked at it like language and culture are inseparable. But, yeah. I... There's this generic American culture. There's this generic standard culture. And then there's all these subcultures. You know, there's there's even West Coast culture. There's, there's, the, there's that Texan, real rugged cowboy culture. Yeah. There's the... The, the North, you know, New York culture and, and all that stuff. So, there, there, you know, there are these these subcategories, if you will. And when you start to really think about it, then you you understand it. There's not just the culture; it's also the way they speak. It's also their mannerisms, and it's the way they just their body language too. That's different. All of that is all wrapped into one little ball. A lot to digest there, isn't there? So there's a lot. <laughs> there is, man. There is. So. Uh, now do you see why, even though I was in that position where I was challenged and I was like frustrated, that, you know, I'm a Shakespeare guy, but here I am in the middle of this, in this like jungle. Once I started to un- un- peel back the layers and saw what what is really there, I was absolutely fascinated with it. And then at that point, I was addicted, and I was like, yeah, 
this is me, man. I'm going head first into this. And that's what I did. Very cool, man. So, um, yeah, I actually learned a lot about uh, English as a second language today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, nothing else. <laughs> Yes. Well, you know, let's let's talk about some of your side gigs here right now. It's awesome that you've been able to make the progress you have in like the English as a second uh, language community and uh, education structure. But uh, now you you are currently teaching at a school and I'll, I'll, I'll use this to transition. You actually use some of the students at the school, I'll say, whether they're your students or not. Uh, in a podcast that you do, The Rise of King Asylus. Yeah, yeah. It was um, kind of, this is going back to that linguistic thing. I was doing some research on intonations, on how people speak now versus how people would speak you know, 40, 50 years ago. And I started listening to those old CBS radio detective shows and, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, War of the Worlds and all that stuff. And that's how I got into podcasting. Like I started listening to them. I got addicted. Then I started listening to more modern podcasting. And it just kind of evolved. And you know, I've had this this story and this novel that I've been working on called The Rise of King Silas. And it just all seemed to converge at once. And I said, you know what? I, I bet I could do one. I started listening to other audio dramas. And I said, I bet I could do this if I just, you know, thought about it and used, utilized this the, uh, the knowledge that I have as a musician, because I've done, I spent years recording as a musician. Okay, so do you do the score too for it? Do you do all the music? I do not do all the music. Um, there, I actually uh, have recruited a lot of bands um, from very, very different sources, different places. Um, I'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. Um, but, um, the the kids in the school that I worked with, I. I just kind of threw it out there and said, hey, will you guys help me out with this little project? And, and they, go, they were just so, their minds just opened up to the possibility of, of writing, not just a story. Because, you know, there's a lot of stories out there about, you know, regular day people and they do lots of these little strange things or these mysteries. No, they wanted, they said, let's do this huge story where, like, this guy takes over the country and he's a king. Okay. Right? And then he wants to take over the world. Like it sounds like, yeah, yeah, sure, but you know, it, it's kind of a complicated thing. How would somebody pull that off? So then, that's when the work came in is putting the story together. But it really, it really was, it really kind of originated in my school with my students. Yeah, and after talking to you here so for so long, I've kind of like seen where I pick up a few of the vibes from in there. I do pick up kind of a Shakespearean vibe, at least in the first couple episodes, like with the coming to power and then dealing with the um, dealing with his inner demons in a way, like his night terrors and stuff. Yeah. And then I also picked up the old the old time radio drama vibe as well. I was like, yeah, this this, this is pretty interesting. I've 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 made it I've made it to the beginning or to actually to the end of the second episode. I haven't quite got on to the third. So things are still kind of building and unfolding and stuff like that with King Elias. But um, do you want to help set up this? Uh, what What is the scenario in this book? I know it starts out with uh, America's civil second civil war, correct? Yeah. So the second civil war is really a, a fracturing of the country. 
And so America's United States last president, you know, it, it was determined by, you know, you, you hear a lot about the secret government, the men behind the curtain. Yeah. So these people decided, you know what, politics just isn't playing, it just isn't working out anymore. The idea of, of paying, buying politicians and lobbies, you know, lobbying for all these things, it, just, it was just too much work for them. So they said, you know what, we'll have this second civil war, and then we'll put one guy in charge with one king, and he's our guy, and he's one of us. And Silas says, actually, you'll find out as you start to get more into the story, he reveals that he was part of that group. He refers to as the monster group, which is really like the Illuminati. Okay. So it's like uh, he was one of them. And so he was brought up, and he's like, you know, we're going to elect one of among us to be this king, this figurehead king. And this way we don't have to deal with Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians. We don't have to deal with any of that crap anymore. There's one guy, and you take care of our business on, at, 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 you know, for the country. And that's, that was the plan. That was the idea. They never suspected anything because he was one of them. Yeah. Um, but as it turns out, we find out later on that Silas is actually, he was actually, he had his own agenda the entire time. He fooled everybody. The guy is, uh, Silas is really like the, the anti-hero. He's, okay. He's, not, he's sort of like he was the he had to be the bad guy first before he could become the good guy. But even as the good guy, he's still the bad guy. So he's, he's I don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. I guess I leave that up to the, the people who are listening, the fans of the show have different they have different uh, opinions about the king. Uh, I tend to think that he's 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 got good in him, but he's forced to do bad, and bad is it has to happen because. The world is full of bad people, and he's trying yeah. to rid the world of bad people. You can't, you can't discuss this. Thing. You can't have a conversation with bad people and say, "Hey, you know what? Let's change your ways." And they're going to be like, "Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, we're going to change our way. We're going to be good now." I'd really appreciate it if you didn't murder people <laughs> and uh, rob from school children. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, could you please stop, or I could just hang you. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. And so, you know, a, a lot of people like try to make. They try to make correlations between Osiris and, say, Donald Trump. They're like, oh, yeah, it's like Donald Trump. Like, no, no, no. He's no, no where, where I got it, where I got, I, I, if anything, if Donald Trump came into play here, this is taking part after his, like, and his downfall. Like, he's, like, I saw that him possibly being the president that uh, brought, the downfall to the United States in this. It story. would be, yeah. I think, I think Donald Trump would be the precursor for the the, the final president. Like the next president would be the last president. Because, you know, well, we yeah. don't want we don't want this harsh guy. We want this really sweet guy, another Obama type guy. You know, who's really good and talks to people and everyone's comfortable with him. But it turns out that this president is weak. Like he doesn't do anything right. He does. He manages to screw everything up. And so that set the stage for setting up Silas, you know, for having a, a king, a throne, you know, and that's kind of how the story unfolds. And then once he's in power, he turns on the people that put him there, and that's what this whole story is about. It's absolute really about power creates absolute corruption, or whatever. Well, I mean, I don't know because I don't, I don't write. Silas, the character, is so fascinating to me because he's he's a lot of different things. For me, it's like he's not really – he's not there for like well, – what would you define as corruption? Okay, let, me, let me ask you this. Like, what is – what would be the most corrupt person to do? 
in your in your world in your mind what would a corrupt person do in my mind what would a corrupt person do um what's he in it for what's he in it for himself um and also probably to go down and put a legacy in just a legacy of himself like being the greatest in uh the history books that's what he wants people to remember and also benefit himself while he's living I right, like really lavishly rich yeah. wealthy powerful right yeah Aside, none of those things he never talks about he never talks about like what he wants he doesn't in fact later on like i said once you get deeper into the story he doesn't like people are like we want to make statues he's like no no no, we're not making any statues of it and, like he has one castle and like the castle is open to the public, people can have weddings there, and people are allowed to go into the castle. It's like it's not a private property; it's kind of like a park, actually. Yeah. So like he doesn't have this big, you know, mansions and everything like that. He doesn't he doesn't plunder the the wealth of the country that he conquers for himself. He he's trying to grow the country, America. America expands as you as you start to go into the story more. The country of America expands. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But he himself, Silas himself, is not he's not acquiring wealth for himself. So that's why I, I always say, like, people will say, well, you know, he's corrupt. I'm like, okay, well, what, what we, how we define somebody who's corrupt is those aren't the actions of a person who's corrupt. It may be the actions of somebody who's uh, sadistic. Yeah. <laughs> I would say of, of all the traits that the king of Silas has, He's definitely sadistic. Yeah, he, he definitely has taken on the role of uh, judge, jury, and executioner very yeah. quickly. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I do believe that. But as far as like all the other things that we would attribute to somebody who's corrupt, that's debatable. Yes, yes. So, um, right now you just kicked off the second season of uh, of the podcast. Now, where do you like? How many seasons do you see this going? Do you see this just continuing on, or uh, you mentioned you started writing a book on this as well, or had written a book? Uh, is it just playing out the book, or is it continuing on into the future? Well, I think uh, I've I've been working on the book for a while, and I, I think that I've come to a crossroads, uh, Aaron, where I'm going to probably have to write more than one book. It's not okay, gonna, I'm just not going to be able to do it all in one shot. I, I see this this series going maybe three, four seasons. Okay. Know? Because the story eventually, it, it, it's. It, it, I love how this is kind of like it seems like it's me, but it's actually if you ever think about like a river, a river kind of goes this way and it goes that way, but it's always going to end up in the ocean, and so that's kind of how King of Silence is. It, it kind of goes this way and then it kind of goes that way. Eventually, it's going to reach the ocean, and then what the ocean is, um, it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> okay, yeah. Don't tell me what the ocean is. We'll have to have to figure that out. The whole point of this is, I'm I'm literally like, I, I've mapped out this story. Actually, I have this storyboard. You can't see it; it's on my window. But I have this storyboard where it just like how it's all going to play out. It's so like, it's so my whole. My whole goal is to blow people's minds. Like, blow your freaking mind is what I want to do. And I, I, I'm like I said, I'm a student of Shakespeare, and it's 
I, I sometimes have, and maybe you think I'm crazy for this. I've never, I've never revealed this in public before. I'll reveal it right now. Here oh, an on exclusive. Your <laughs> I've never revealed this to anyone ever, not even to my wife. Wow. I sometimes have the com- I, sometimes I pretend to have a conversation with Shakespeare. Okay. You know? Yeah, and like where he's critiquing my work. You know, he's kind of like looking over my shoulder, and he's like saying, "Yeah, that you should change." Or, ah. I don't believe it, you know. So it's it's kind of like the the dark passenger in in, uh, in Dexter. I don't know if you ever watched that series of shows. You know, Dexter. I I didn't have HBO when it was when it was on. It was HBO or Showtime. Is it which one was it? I didn't have the premium cable networks at the time. So, anyways, the book and the book is actually the Dark Passenger, where you know Dexter has these conversations with his dead father, right? Okay. And uh, so in, in my world, I have conversations with William Shakespeare. So that's the exclusive. <laughs> Hopefully you don't think I'm too crazy. No, no, no. It's like in the conversations, do you find the him playing the role of more of a critic or is he ever like a supportive role? Like, no, oh. he's, definitely, he's definitely the critic in my world. He's the critic. He tells, he, he's the one who's, who says whether or not he thinks it's, it's, it's good or not. Okay, like, is he, like, uh, say, like, Shakespeare in the form of Gordon Ramsay? Like, that is complete rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the one where, I like, I like the conversations that I have with Shakespeare, where Shakespeare is, like, he's cross, sitting cross-legged on my couch, right? And he's like, I don't know how you're going to pull this off. And I end up laughing. Like, I'm laughing at him, going, this is, this is funny to me. Okay. This is funny. Maybe it's because you're from, like, you know, 500 years ago. It doesn't, it doesn't hit you. But it definitely hits me. Like there's certain there's certain things that I do, and I, I love love coding what I do. Like I'm Shakespeare was a master at coding in his work. If you've ever studied Shakespeare, like there's stuff that he does, and he strings words together in a certain way that if you set them, if you butt it up this the end of this word and the front of this word, and you cut out the, you know, it, it has uh, these hidden meanings, like these little nuggets, if you will, these little Easter eggs, as it's called. He's really, and I, I load. I try to load mine up, and I, 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 I do slip them in there. It almost sounds like the, uh, like the Shakespeare era version of play the hidden messages on records as you play them backwards. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I'm just. That's why. I, that's why I have Shakespeare in in these conversations with me because in some ways. You know, I want to steal stuff from him if I can, in, in a modern sense, not like yeah. literally plagiarized, but like takes ideas that he had and put them in the context that for that, that works with the story. Yeah, you're not going to take like lines from him, like to be or not to be. That yeah. is the question. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm King of Silas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. No, I could never pull that off. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I, I understand. Like, kind of taking a Shakespeare esque theme and adapting it to you. Yeah, very much so. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, not at I all. Think that, I think if you can pull it off, you're a really good writer. If you can pull it off. Okay. You could, you could, you could try, and you fail miserably. I think a lot of writers try and fail miserably. No, I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I'm like, 
that, 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 would, that would really be bad if you're like, I am one of those guys. I failed at writing. But please listen to the podcast. Um, I, I speak it well. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I take a lot of pride in what I do. That's I good, a, man. I do a, That's a good. I a lot of time on it. So. And... I, you you can you can tell that that because I can tell you're passionate about it. Part of like the excitement you have as you talk about it. Yeah, well, you know, it's and I, you know what I I, I spend a lot of t- I do when I do have downtime. I don't have a lot of it, Aaron. But when I do have some downtime, I, I like to go on YouTube, and I like to watch I like to watch these like conspiracy you know channels like these really obscure people on YouTube. These YouTubers. Yeah, and every once in a while you'll hear. I, I like. I, I'm fascinated by these time travelers, people who claim that they've been, you know, in the year twenty four thirty two, and they came back and they tell us what the world is like, you know, four hundred years from now. I love watching those, and I'm so like fascinated with it. And in some ways, you know, like the ones where people talk about parallel worlds, like yeah, who say, well, we've been to the this other Earth, and in this other Earth, like the Beatles didn't. They didn't break up in the '60s, and John Lennon didn't die, and they recorded like five other albums. Blah blah blah, you know. And I'm fascinated by it. So, like to me, like the King of Silas world, the America in that world is so close. It's almost parallel to this world, you know. And, and that's why I think a lot of, that's why I think a lot of people listen to it. And you know, we have people listening all over the world now. Um. People listen to it. They're 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 kind of imagining what America might turn out like. And you know, it's okay. so funny. Today, I was talking to my wife about it. We're watching Trump, and he's in France with Macron, right? Yeah. And Macron made an announcement. I think it was last night, uh, where he says now he's trying to trying to rally up Europe to create a European military. Well, if you listen to the show, Silas is number one. one his, his number one enemies are Britain and the European Alliance. It's it's the same thing. Yeah. So it's like, it's, and there's been other there have been other coincidences. People call me sometimes like, did that, did you know this beforehand? Because I listened to this and this was on your show, like episode whatever, whatever. <laughs> it's so, it's so weird, man. It's so weird, like how I think this is kind of almost playing out in some ways. I mean, I'm I don't know if there's a really a King of Silas on the books or not. I'm not I'm not a member of the Illuminati. Uh, me neither man me neither or else i'd tell you or well no i couldn't tell you uh damn i'd be shot or Um, or you or you would tell me that you're not a member of the illuminati that could be and i could be telling you that i'm not a member of the illuminati so maybe we're both members of the illuminati or maybe we're not maybe we're just mind (laughs) messing with people's minds yeah yeah i think i I think i've gotten pretty good at that yeah right on right on all right, JV. So, what advice would you have for somebody who's looking to get started out in, uh, well, I guess storytelling or podcasting would probably be a good aspect for for advice. Well, I would say you know to try to utilize or at the very least explore all your talents because honestly, before I got into podcasting, I wasn't sure if I would be good at voice acting until I actually tried it. So. Uh, I would say, you know, even the things that you think you might not be good at, to go ahead and give it a try. Um, also, you you got to network. Like networking is key. Yeah. You know, um, you have to go to conferences. I, I recently I went to the the Comic Con here. I met some really cool people. Saw some famous actors. Um, it's a good place to to meet people. Mind you, a lot of them might be nerds or geeks, but <laughs> those are the people that are that are going to be listening. Those are the people that are going to be into what you're doing. So. 
and they're proud of it. They wear it like a badge. You know, it's one of the experiences that I had at Comic Cons is uh, the people that go there are just truly into what they are into, like, and they're into it so deep. Uh, that's a great place to go network and meet people, especially like if you want to uh, meet with other podcasters or or meet with actors or people that are just enthusiasts. That's a great place to go. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned you mentioned that the geeks or nerds kind of wear it as a, a badge of honor. Now it's almost actually become cool in a way to be a nerd or a geek. Some people oh, yeah. who aren't nerds or geeks are saying, "Oh yeah, I'm nerdy in this," uh, like trying to justify their nerdum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's it's so totally true, um, and and it's okay. It's totally cool. Like it, I think we've reached that point in society, you know, where it's like it's okay to be a geek, and it includes so many different people. I mean, even I could be considered a geek, you know, to yeah. some degree. Yeah, I think yeah. I think a lot of people can be considered geeks at least in one area or two areas of their life, you know? Like I could sure. be like a podcasting geek or something like You're that. You're kind of like a podcast geek now, Static. I know, <laughs> man. I, I wear it proudly, man. All right, so sorry to derail you with the geek note, but you were saying go network at um, – at like comic cons, conventions, and stuff like that. Like and utilizing your talents—that was your, your big thing. Try to try different talents that you might not even know you have. Network, going to the the conferences, going to you know podcast conferences, going to comic cons if, if you can. Meet with people in the most unlikely places, um, and have a business card made. Even if you don't have a production yet, or you can always just make a general business card with, you know. John Smith, you know, voice actor or John Smith, a podcaster or whatever. Yeah. Even if it doesn't have a logo, even if you don't have any, just make a, you know, make a plain card. It can be a fancy card. Mr. Printer or any place really has some really cool designs now. Um, that would have in hand to meet with people. Get an agent if you're ready for that professional leap. Like I think I'm, I'm almost there myself and I, I've had agents before. So it's just finding the right kind of agent who believes in what you're doing. Um, but more importantly, before you even get to that level, is really just trying to meet as many people as you can. It's one of the reasons why I write for the theater guide, because it, it gives me access to all the theaters in, in my area, uh, actors, directors, uh, screenwriters, that sort of thing. Um, I, I have met a lot, a lot, a lot of people in the that are in the theater business. Um, yeah. So, you know, depending on what you're depending on what you're motivated to do, like if you wanted to do something, let's say you want to do something in television or in, or something to that degree, you know, you might want to go and network in places where there's television conferences or where maybe you might want to, you know, apply at a, the local uh, TV station or, you know. And here's another thing, really. If you can get on a board or try to be on a board for a community theater, that'll give you access to just about everybody from press, you know, from newspapers to television stations to you know, community uh, organizers and that sort of thing, because that's where it's at. When you want to network, to get the maximum amount of people. If you volunteer to be at a, you know, to, to be at, to serve on a board for like one year on a community at a community theater, which is every every major city or any small, if, most places and in, in, have cities have some form of community theaters. Get involved, volunteer your time. Say, look, you know, I'm not getting paid for this, but I'm going to spend time and, and try to figure out how I can help the theater get more people. And in the process, you'll meet a lot of people that way. So that's, that's, that's very, very key if, if you have time for that. 
All right, awesome. That is uh, great advice right there. And uh, I didn't necessarily think of joining a uh, community theater board or uh, that, but how many people that would put you in touch with. So that's uh, that's some of that outside the box thinking right there. Yeah. Uh, very much. <laughs> so um, now, what are you currently doing to promote yourself, JV? Well, uh, aside from like the, the usual thing, like the, uh, the social media, it's not just that you're doing social media, it's what social media you're doing. Um, like, for example, for the Rise of King of Silence, I think a, a lot of it, a lot of the interactions that I get are on, on Twitter. Twitter seems to be a more active hub for me in terms of social media. Really? Uh, a lot of, we have a lot of followers and a growing follower base. And we have people that are other podcasters that retweet stuff that we do. I'm involved. I'm in a, our, our group. We are in a group. So like this group keeps growing. So there's more podcasters that join the group and we all help each other out retweeting each other's stuff. And we like each other's stuff and we promote each other's stuff. And it's just a wheel that just keeps growing and growing. It's like a snowball. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger over time. Um, Facebook, of course, but you know, Facebook has its, has its gray areas. It has its ups and downs. If you don't have, you know, a lot of people interacting with you on Facebook, you know, it's kind of a hit or miss. Instagram is, is, has its limitations. It's good to have. Um, but really uh, there's also other ways, you know, we talk about, uh, working in the, in the, in the community theaters, for example, but you know, also if you're, if you're doing a podcast and you're looking for, guests or if you're looking for like voice actors like one of the things we do is uh we we put a cast call for voice actors okay. and so we'll do it on twitter sometimes um uh, craigslist is another one and so this brings added traffic of prospective you know actors or prospective creative uh collaborators or that sort of thing if you put it out there like on the community p- portion of the craigslist hey you know i have a podcast i'm looking for xyz and all of a sudden, you'll have a ton of people that'll call you, or you know, email you, or whatever. However, it is you want to. That's another way that, that that we get contacts with people all over the, really all over the world. All right, very cool. And that brings up a point where, um, at the beginning of the show, I accidentally um, said King. Elias instead of King of Silas, and you brought up a point to me there. I, I was all in my head. Uh, one of the other things, Aaron, is uh, we do a lot of cross promotion. Like we we work with a lot of other podcasters. Okay, cool. Get people to contribute from other from other sources, from other podcasts. Uh, you'll be surprised when you put something out. Other podcasters will listen to you either to get ideas for their own shows or just to see what, what you're doing. Sometimes they do it just because they want to support. Um, they want to help the community out. So podcasting community is a very tight-knit community. You know, uh, they're, they have their clicks like everything else. I don't really get involved in that, Aaron. I, I mean, maybe the people that they want, they might find it that it's great to be in a click. Yeah, but the people that are not in your clique are going to look at you and be like, "Well, you're that clique, so you know you're all going to rub each other's bellies all day long." (laughs) I just had a visual with that. I'm sorry, podcasting and rubbing each other's bellies, and uh... I don't know. I guess I guess some people might even say that we're in some clique, and that's fine. You know, we have our own little thing going on. I'm not. I don't really look at it that way because there's a lot of people in the in the audio drama community that never really even interact with us for whatever reason. Yeah. That's a, that's, I, I'm not going to speculate, you know, but, uh, I do support as many of them as I can, but I do my own thing. I've always done my own thing. I've always been like a grassroots guy. I'm very organic. I like to meet people face to face. 
a lot, we have a lot of listeners. We have a lot of fans, and, and I contribute much of that to word of mouth and just getting on my email list and and utilizing my band fan base and my music fan base and my my writers, uh, my book fan base, and you know all those all those people are, are drawn into the King of Silas world because they're curious because they've known me from other things. So I kind of already had a little thing going before I even started this, but. Really, everybody everybody does have their own network. Everybody does. You know, you start with your your friends, you start with your family, and you branch out from there. And and that's really how you make it all grow. And you start small, but then eventually, if you got a good product, if you put out a good show, people are going to listen. Yes, yes, definitely. Promoting is definitely key, and it's networking, networking in every possible way. Social media is one way, of course, that's an easy way because you never have to leave your computer. But to get in people's, in their presence, be in their groups. That's where you can really make some more lasting curiosity, you know, get some people curious about what you're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. And people remember in person a lot more anyway, uh, and, than just a message on your computer. Yeah. And definitely, definitely put it out there. Hey, you know, scratch my back. I'll scratch your back. You know, you put, you put a promotion for my show. I'll put a promotion for yours. You guest on my program. I'll guest on your program. And, you know, I just kind of, whatever fan base they have now they're exposed to you and vice versa. And that's how a lot of podcasters do that. And that's, and there's, that's perfectly normal and fine. You know? Yeah, definitely. I imagine that's probably one of the things you and I are going to do in the long run, you know? Of course, of course. I'm I'm always open to cross promotion and uh, helping out when it, wherever I can because I kind of have the view of where if one of us makes it, you know, it's kind of good for all of us. It brings more. Oh, yeah. It brings more uh, exposure to the scene and uh, you know helps get other people noticed. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things like when. Um, I didn't bring this up earlier, but when we were talking about all that stuff about ESL, cause there was a whole lot there. Um, but you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the American Federation of Teachers, AFT. Um, uh, not really. I can't say that I am. It's the second largest teachers union in the country. One of the largest labor unions they're involved in They're They're like a group now where it's AFT and uh, NEA and the AFLCI, the, the labor unions and the, the AFT is really the, the teachers unions. And it's a huge, huge union. I mean, we're talking like overall with the, that whole little group, man, we're talking millions and millions of people that are in it. Okay. Right. So, um, there was a, now the the president of the AFT, Randy Weingarten, I I've met her a number of times. We've we've talked. We you know she knows me. I'm you know, whenever we see each other, she's like, hey, how's it going? You know, we, we this is a very this is a powerful woman. This is a, one of the um, she's had her bouts with Donald Trump and that sort of thing, and she does she continues to do that. She's she's a true champion of of labor unions. Anyway, when uh, you know the whole thing what came out with the book and whatever, uh, she was supposed to give a speech at the we are here to stay rally in washington dc um at the ame church that's the famous uh church where frederick Douglass used to give his speeches at right okay so she asked me through a surrogate to fill in for her for that speech that she had that she had done she had to cancel for it last minute so she called me so i i take a drive me and my wife i, I drive down to dc you know, to do this thing, man, this place was packed. They had buses. The whole street was like literally blocked. There was so many people there. 
I was to be honest, I was a little nervous. I mean, it was like there's like people everywhere. It was it was televised, you know, it was like lots and <laughs> lots of people were there. Um to make a long story short, anyways, from that one speech that I gave, you know, it led to the Huffington Post wanted me to write a piece for them. So I wrote a piece for them. It was had to do with that whole thing. This was like right when Trump first became president. So they were like hot. It was hot. It was really, really yeah. hot. But, so they wanted to run with that. They changed some things. I wasn't too happy the way I don't like the I don't like when editors take the poetic license to change things that I said. I didn't say a lot of those things that were in that article. That's neither here nor there. Or whatever. But because of that, you know, like the NPR affiliate here in Baltimore, they contact me to go on their radio program and talk on their show. Like looking back on it, if the Silas was was as, was in my bloodstream as it is now, then I would have talked about it then. Of you know, course. I would have I would have put it up. You know, <laughs> I would have been on the radio and I would have met millions of people could have heard me say that. But you know, we were talking about politics, so we we're talking about something else. As a teacher, they wanted they want my they wanted me to talk about Trump is what they wanted me to talk about, but yeah. I wasn't going to get into that. But anyway, um, that's one of the things about promotion, like. You notice that more and more people like will do. They'll slip it in there somehow. If you get an opportunity to be on television, get it to, an opportunity to go somewhere. You know, like one of the things I want to do. I mean, son does pod, my, my son does uh, a YouTube channel. I was thinking, you know, maybe some podcasters or some people that are on YouTube to wear a T-shirt for the show or a cap with the show's logo on it. Those types of things to help promote your your product. It, it's, it's a long shot, but if you get an opportunity, I don't don't let an opportunity like that go to waste. Yeah, Honestly. definitely. Definitely. Like, uh, it's like the whole bands wearing other band shirts on stage, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's as old as t-shirts and performances are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's what I would advise anybody. If you've got a, a you know, a rich uncle or, <laughs> or somebody who was on TV or, or has had some access to a lot of people, if you can wiggle your way in there and get a promotion or get your logo on there, man, do it because that's gold. Hell yeah, man. That's some good advice right there as well for promoting. And the more exposure, the better, pretty much. The more exposure you get, the more people will see you. Whether they like you or not, they'll be exposed to you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like one of the things, Aaron, is like the world is, is a big place, but the Internet and all the social media makes it a smaller place. It does. It does. You know, it's like, I don't know if you saw on the news. It was on. It was on national. I made national news. I saw it on Breitbart. And I saw it on a few other uh, sites. Uh, this school teacher here in Baltimore got smacked in the face, like by a student. I don't know if you wow. saw it on the news. I missed that. It made it made national news. Like this woman, there was and the kid were the kids in the, in the class were filming it. They were videoing it. And this woman, she just got out of surgery. She had cancer, and she had cancer surgery, and. She just came back into the classroom and this kid just cold cocked her right in the face and was caught on video. Turns out that's a friend of mine. Like she's a friend of mine. Like I, me and my wife went to go visit her in the hospital when she got her surgery. Like she's a, she's a colleague. Like I've known her for wow. years and like here she is plastered all over news, you know, all over the country. And it's, it's so weird and bizarre, you know, like, I'm not suggesting that I have her wear a King of Silas shirt or anything like that. <laughs> I, I was wondering if you were going there. So what's that, you wasn't got? My point. that wasn't my point, Aaron. My point was that the world is so small. Yeah. Even though it's large. You know, the, the media makes it, the social media makes it small. 
I, I was almost wondering if you're going to be like, I will be like, have her say something in the next press <laughs> minute. King, King of Silas will smite you or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, had a, I had to stick my foot in there and say like, this is not where I was going with it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, man. Cool. So um, now what would, be like a highlight or two that uh you've had along the way we've well i mean aside from like the presentation i did at the international conference in seattle last year that i talked about earlier that was a pretty big deal uh yeah that that speech that i gave at the at the ame uh, church that was a big deal um i was on that npr affiliate tv uh, radio station that was kind of a big deal um but as podcasting goes, I uh, went to the Baltimore Comic Con here recently. It was um, last month, actually. And uh, there were a few actors there. And the one that I got to talk to was one of the actors from the Arrow TV show. Are you familiar with CW's Arrow? Yes. The Green Arrow? Yes. I, I haven't seen that for a while, but I was watching that with, like, the Flash back in the day, uh, back a yeah. little while ago. <laughs> and so, like, I got a chance to, like, they had this big, uh, there was, like, this big room, and there were, like, you know, you had a chance, you could you can ask her a question in front of everybody. And so I asked her about podcasting. I asked her about, you know, would you consider being a voice actor? Because I was listening to her talk. I said, you got a great voice. You'd be great for vo- for, for podcasting. You know, I got a I got an audio drama, you know. <laughs> 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 so that was kind of a big deal. I mean, I, you know, my wife and I are fans of the show. We watch it and, um, you know, just like seeing her on TV. And then all of a sudden uh, she's, you know, feet away from you. Yeah. It's just, kind of surreal sometimes so that was kind of a highlight for me in terms of podcasting because i got to talk to an actual actress a famous actress and got to plug my show <laughs> and she's gonna be on your show right no i'm <laughs> oh, she declined she declined <laughs> oh she declined that's too bad that's too bad. well we're you agents, threw it out there you gave her the good old college try um, Her agent did not return my phone call let's put it that way <laughs> okay all right yeah you got the hollywood no uh yeah <laughs> All right. So with your work that you put out, whether it's writing or whether it's King Silas, is there a common theme or a common uh, feeling that you want your audience to take away and remember about your work? Yeah. Well, I would like them to think, okay, this guy obviously thought everything out and it was written well. Because, you know, you only get one shot at a first impression. Very true. And I, and I want mine to be, you know, riveting. I want it to be psychologically shocking if I can. I, I, I like for it to be where, wow, this is, this is different. This is unconventional. And, you know, I want to kind of grip their minds if I can. So I really, that's kind of the experience that I'd like for people to have when they listen to the show or even when they read any of my work that, you know, that I can somehow slip my hand into their brain and just kind of squeeze it like a grape. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Find that pineal gland and just squeeze it because like that's kind of what I think that's what lasts. That's what makes people like people like Stephen King and, and writers like that. I'm not a big fan of Stephen King, believe it or not, but the man is phenomenal and I give him a lot of credit. Yes, he's an interesting dude. I'll, I'll definitely, definitely say that. 
I, I just remember him on like one of the late night shows with like Letterman or something back in the day, and they're asking him about when he was a kid. They're like, "Were you afraid of monsters as a kid?" It's like, "Yes, uh, anything that wasn't covered with blankets was fair game for the monsters to eat at night." Then uh, the like Dave or Jay, whoever, whatever show he was on, was like, "Well, what about your head? Did you cover your head too?" He's like, "Well, Dave, monsters view the head as dessert, and they have etiquette. They don't." eat dessert first <laughs> quirky dorky yeah. yeah it's very very much so but it's strange enough where you think he actually believes it uh <laughs> yeah you know I, and that's fine like i said I, i'm not a huge fan of his I've, I've tried to read his stuff i you know it's hard for me to read guys that are still alive okay. the last one that i read when he was still alive was michael Crane. i really liked him the guy who wrote jurassic park yeah he was he was a really good. I liked him, and it, it, I liked him in a way like, not to compare him. Not that I'm saying that he's in the same the same category as as a, as a Hemingway, but Hemingway had this way of writing that was so like it was it was kind of like a, a kind of like a current, and you're just kind of flowing with it, you know? Okay. Led your sails up, but it just kind of you went with it, just filled in your sails, and you just kind of went with it. That's what I liked about Hemingway, and that's kind of how. Reading Crichton was is like it's it's, it's kind of you just kind of flow with it. With with Stephen King, it's it's really jagged and it's 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 kind of rough around the edges and it's not as smooth, you know. Yeah. Okay. I, I got gotcha. I, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could put a finer point on it, but that's really my just my personal opinion about it. So I'm not saying he's a bad writer. I'm not anything. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he's a really good writer. He's phenomenal, but it's just not my cup of tea. Fair enough, fair enough, and uh, you're allowed your opinion and all that good stuff. And as you were saying that, I kind of thought of a uh, premise for a new radio drama, if you if you want. Um, all these authors are dying. The great authors are dying. They're being murdered. And it's this one guy who refuses to le- read living authors and won't read them until they're dead. So he's wanting to read these authors, so he goes out and kills them. Mm. It's an interesting well, concept. He, I don't know. <laughs> I, ha- I had one similar. Well, no, it wasn't quite like that, but it was one where they, the Beatles are actually time travelers, and they would go into the future and steal other people's songs from the future and come back into the 60s. And then, oh, wow. That, that, then, that could be an interesting concept as well. I don't know how that would play out because, you know, Paul McCartney's still alive and Ringo's still alive, and I don't know if they would have a problem with somebody writing a story about them like that, even if it's fiction. I, I, I wouldn't know how that works. but Yeah, you'd probably want to put, like, a fictitious band name. <laughs> uh, the Reedles. Like, yeah, or the Snails or something <laughs> like that. Snails. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yes, yes. But, all right, man. So... So I think we covered everything. I yeah, think. I only have one question left for you. But before we get there, where can people find you online? Where, where's your uh, corner of the internet that you dwell in? Um, for the show, Twitter it might be the best place. You can you can Twitter us at you know at King of Silas. Um, and Facebook the same at King of Silas. That's where most. That's where. A majority of my efforts are going into that project right now. I do other projects, but my my main project is King of Silas. It's where most of my stuff is, and the, and the website is theriseofkingofsilas.com. Okay, that's where ninety nine percent of the stuff that I'm doing today, 
That's what I'm doing. When I hang up with you, I'm going to go right back to that. <laughs> All right. All right. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. So I would like to thank you for joining me today, and I appreciate you uh, taking time with all the work you have to do on King of Silas. And now it is time for that one final question, the title question of the show. J.V. Torres, how do you live uncontained? How do I live uncontained? That's the question, man. I am <laughs> this is perfect. I am constantly, constantly reinventing myself. Constant. Like, I don't know if I have multiple personalities or not. I've never gone to a doctor to find out. But it's like there's like a million things I want to do, and I find a way to do them all. So that's how I'm uncontained because nobody's going to stop me from doing anything. And if they do, I'll just figure out to do something different, and then I'm, I'm going to concentrate on that. So there's no way to contain me. I'm uncontainable. All right. Perfect, man. Perfect. Uh, thank you. And I have all my guests sign off the show. Will you do me the honor of signing off the show tonight? I am JV Torres and I am uncontained and I am King of Silas, the King of America, the ruler of this world signing off because I am uncontained. And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thank you to J.V. Torres for joining me and uh, sharing some great advice and stories with us all right here on Uncontained. Make sure you check out his podcast, The Rise of King Silas. And uh, I'm pretty sure once you start listening, you'll be binge listening as well. I hope everybody is getting through the holiday season all right, getting all that shopping done. If you don't want to leave the couch to do some shopping, you can just go online and help support the show at the same time. tpublic.com, you can find uncontained merchandise there. And also, if you just want to get some shopping done on Amazon, please, I invite you to use the link at the top of the uncontained page and uh, do your shopping there and help support the show. Thank you once again for listening, and until next time, live uncontained.